Frequency of trading. How long have you been doing this? Less than a year. So you took it, what, last summer? First time? So he's been doing this less than a year. He came up on the break. He said, wow, you know what you said was true. I'm doing a lot less trading than I was early on. I'm much, much, much more selective than I was before. But initially, I'm assuming you picked just about anything just because it looked like it was going to move. And now, but in doing that, you realize, hey, I'm going to be much more selective on what it is that I'm looking for. And now what I heard you say was, am I always looking for the price doing whatever it's doing? Hit the band, spread the band, come off the band, give me the setup and run. And you're finding the answer is yes. All your, write this down, all your trades look alike. And the catalyst becomes really irrelevant. It could be a split. By the way, whoever gave me these Ricolo, whatever these things are called, someone tossed them up. I didn't see who it was, but I saw them toss it, but thank you for that. I love it. So if you hear me sucking on something, you can thank them or blame them. I appreciate it. So if my breath smells like a mentholatum, you can blame her. Thank you. <laughs> and make your brain fall asleep. So all your trades look alike. So what you're looking for on a setup is something that will hit the band on a bullish trade, hit the lower band, spread that band. Price will come off the bands. Now think about it this way. We were describing this on the lunch break. If my arms are the Bollinger Bands, if price hits the band here and they spread, if this band spreads down, what does the upper band have to do mathematically? It's got to go the other way. It looks like it's the alligator. It's a alligator thing if you've got young kids. So the upper band spreads up. Now price comes off the band and starts to run. Well, that upper band is still way up here. I got a lot of movement opportunity there. And so and I'm hoping that the trade will go band to band. That at least says go look. It doesn't say do the trade. There may be a bunch of reasons why I don't want to. But that's what I'm looking for. That's why I want to see. It's almost like a coiled spring. When price drops, it'll push down, the, it'll coil, it'll push that spring way down and boom, it pops up. And it tends to pop up toward the opposite band. That's all I'm looking to do again and again and again and again. It comes to be very, very simple. But you become very discerning as to which one you will choose to put your money at risk. Yes, ma'am. That's a technical term. Have you read that in the books? The bottom Bollinger Band is dipping way farther. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, what you're saying, the, the lower band dips a lot further than the upper one? It might just be on the gap. But normally the band, I mean, the bands will be equidistant apart from the mid band just by definition. I don't care. I believe you. You don't need to send it to me. <laughs> but go find, I mean, go find a bunch of those. You'll see whenever price hits the band and it starts to push that lower band down or the, even the upper band up, look at the opposite band. It's moving the same way because they tend to be, I mean, it's a symmetrical picture, if you will, around the middle band. Just by definition, it has to be. Okay, other questions? Yeah, it does, yeah, it's the same, whether it's on the upper band or the lower band. So if it's spreading the upper band, what's that lower band going to be doing? It's going to be doing the same thing. And then as it comes off the band to drop back down, that lower band is now much, is way down here. It eventually is going to come back up and we're expecting or hoping that price will come down and hit that opposite band. All we're looking to do. Okay? All right. Next page. Halted trading. Anyway, when the market is open, there's always the chance that a stock will be halted from trading. There's always that possibility. Does not matter what the stock is. It's most common, if you're going to see it, that it will happen on a biotech. You look at it from an industry view, it seems to me the most common place to happen is in biotech. I mean, it's not going to happen every day, but it can happen. The halt can last for an hour, could last longer, could last shorter. You never know. What causes the halt is the exchange suspects or experiences unusual activity 
related to stock price. And so trading halts, usually when there's significant news that's about to be released or when there's a significant order imbalance between buyers and sellers. Most of the time when you see these, it's usually related to FDA announcements or some type of legal announcement. FDA announcement thus leads you into biotech and drug stock, but it can happen to any stock. When it's halted, you cannot buy, you cannot sell, you can't do options, you can't do anything. It's as if the market is closed, but just for that one stock. Any existing orders cannot be modified. It's as if the market is closed, but just for that one stock. Sometimes it could halt for more than a day. I was in a stock a few years ago that halted for, I think, a day and a half, maybe even two days, because they're waiting for an FDA announcement. The market maker is given time to digest the news. And so before the stock resumes trading, he or she can adjust the price to be an appropriate range based on the order of, based on the level of orders, whether they're on the buy side or sell side. Oh yeah, so our question is, how do I know what new drugs might be seeking FDA announcement the way you finally go to church? <laughs> a lot of time in church. Get in, get in a word with the big guy and see if he'll give a little hint. Beyond that, I don't know. The other way to avoid that is I wouldn't, personally, I won't trade biotech stocks. I'll trade options on them, but I won't trade the biotech stocks. Okay? So, but I know also, I understand when I trade an option, I know going in, there's a chance I could have 100% loss. It doesn't matter whether it's biotech or any other, any other industry. It doesn't matter. I know that going in because news could, could slam me. I'm just more likely is, not, is too strong of a word. There's a greater likelihood with a biotech stock than with another than some other non-biotech industry stock that I can get slammed. Doesn't mean it's going to happen, but just understand it. If, it's, if there's ever an industry you said, let me, which one am I most likely to get, either get rich or get slammed on? It's going to be in something that is very news-driven, right? Which most common one you see is around FDA announcements. You can also have that happen on earnings, but I won't trade the earnings, so I avoid all that. So is there a way to tell when a company is going to be announcing? I don't know, other than just reading the news items on that particular company. But the way I avoid all that, I won't trade stock on a biotech, right? Easy way to do it. I got people in the room who work for Amgen going, dude, you're missing opportunities. But yep, I am happy. Totally fine with that. Now, other stocks, other industries can get halted. Apple was halted a few years ago. There were rumors of jobs health issues. And he was still alive at the time, but they did halt the stock. It was like a day or a half day, something like that. And then when he passed, I think they halted Apple again, if I remember right. And then there was also a, a situation about a year and a half, two years ago now, where Google, somebody at, I can't remember the name of the company, it wasn't Knight Ritter, but it was one of the news companies that would release earnings, mistakenly released the earnings about an hour in advance of the close, if I remember correctly, on Google. And so the stock just went haywire and they put a halt on it. So that kind of thing can happen. In all my trading life, I've only seen that happen once. It was the first time with Google. Could it happen again? It could um, I'm not worried about it. You know, stuff does happen. You can't worry too much about it. But just understand, when you are in a stock, it is, and it doesn't have to be a biotech, it is possible that it gets halted. It's very rare to happen, to have happened, but it can. When it does, you've got to genuflect. That's a big word of saying you've got to do the cross on yourself because you have no idea if the news is going to come out in your favor or against you. It's just it's the nature of the beast. If you don't like that, then there's one easy way to avoid that. Don't trade don't go in the stock market. There's always that chance. No different than if you own real estate, you got to have an earthquake wipe out your building. Recession, but I mean, that's not, and recession's not instant. 
right? So something can happen. Just understand you've got risk when you go into this. Okay, so that's with halted trading. What's that? Priceline, how long ago was this? Priceline got halted in a put. And did it pop up? So it popped down, so he could have closed it out early because there was extreme pessimism. Sounds like the price was very high. And then he stuck around because, watch, he's, I'm not even look at him. I'm not even talking. He's probably nodding his head, yes. The greed monster kicked in and said, I can get even richer tomorrow. And then when the market opened tomorrow, all the enthusiasm had gone away and this option price was reflected accordingly. Stock price didn't move, but his option got crushed, right? That is called greed. Don't be greedy. Remember what I said before, greed will always make you poorer. Take the gain, call it done. Next piece is insurance. When we have our long-term holding stocks, how long do we expect to hold them? Long-term. Kind of neat the way that works. To protect the value of your long-term holdings during longer periods of decline, extended periods of decline, what you can do is buy puts on that position, basically insuring the position. So what you want to think of is this. In fact, let's take a step back from it. I'm assuming everybody here drove or rode with somebody or can drive, which means I hope if you're legal, you have car insurance, but he's too young. And I'm assuming everybody has some kind of either life insurance or fire insurance or homeowner's insurance or renter's insurance as well. If you think about it, let's use the car insurance as an example. Let's say you get the policy January 1st every year. So on January 1st, you call your good friends at State Farm. You say, I'm in good hands. How much is it? And they'll say, for your car, you're driving a, or your experience, your, your age, blah, blah, blah. Thousand bucks a year. So we will insure Mr. or Mrs. Smith your car for a thousand bucks. The $20,000 car, should you wrap it around a pole, we'll write you a check for something close to 20 grand. And you say, great. And you send in a check for $1,000 and you've got your car coverage at whatever the limits of coverage are for auto insurance. When you write that check, you're expecting to never see the money again. You hope you never see another dime out of it because the only way you collect on insurance is your car has to be destroyed. So as long as the asset doesn't decline in value, i.e. your car gets totaled, stolen, wrapped around a pole, whatever it is, the money that you spent on insurance is gone. You write the check, you expect never to see it again. And nobody is, you don't like writing the check, but no one's bothered by the concept that you're not gonna get the money back. Does that make sense? Think about it that way. Go the other way, how about life insurance? You write the check for life insurance, I hope you're not pissed off you didn't collect this year. <laughs> right? You're betting the insurance company you're gonna die and they're betting you that they're not, that you're not. It's really what it, what's going on with it. But you're not annoyed that you didn't collect on your life insurance policy this year. The same attitude is, some, you have to possess the same attitude when you think of buying insurance on your long-term holdings. You're buying it to protect the value of the asset. You're not buying it to make money. You're buying it to protect the value of the asset so that if that asset declines, you make money on the insurance. But if you don't, that's okay because that says you didn't lose money on the value of the asset. Let me say it in a different example. You live in Malibu. You live in a ravine. In fact, now you live at the top of a ridge. And that whole ravine, the whole thing is all overgrown with dry brush. It's September. We've had a very rainy spring and a very dry summer. You buy fire insurance because now the Santa Anas are kicking in. And now there's a fire. And fortunately, your house didn't burn down. Were you pissed off you didn't get to collect on the insurance? 
No, you bought it for insurance as a just-in-case. When you buy puts for your long-term holdings, it's okay if the value of the puts do not go up. It means that your long-term holdings didn't drop. And it's like, dude, why, don't, why are you hammering on this? Because people get confused. You buy insurance to protect the value of the asset. But if the value of the asset does not decline, it's not the end of the world. Insurance is just that. So buying puts on your long-term holdings is designed to protect the value of that asset. So now, how do we do this? So now imagine your charts, you look at your, for an extended period of time, which means probably a weekly chart. You look at that and you say, boy, everything is set up. I get it, hit the band, spread the band, come off the band, the upper band, and now all the indicators cross going down. That stock is gonna go what direction? It's gonna go down, and if I see it on a weekly chart, it's gonna go down for weeks which says if I've got a boatload of money tied up in some or all of my long-term holdings, that says my net worth is probably going to decline. So if I've got a bazillion shares of IBM, IBM hit the upper band on the weekly chart, spread the band, comes off the band, and now gives me a 3x on a weekly chart, it's going to go down for weeks, which means I expect my bazillion dollars in IBM to be something less than a bazillion dollars by the time the downturn is done. I want to protect that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to buy insurance, but I don't go to State Farm or Allstate. I go to the market. I go to the market maker and I buy puts. Now, to understand what you want to do, go back and reread the speaking Greek section from class three, and that will help you understand which puts to buy. What I'd suggest you do is buy three months of time beyond where you think the stock decline will end. Well, how do I know where it's going to end? Well, I've been telling you for the last 10 weeks, how long does a move typically last? X number of candles, right? As high as in the high teens. So if it were to last for 18 candles, let's say, 18 candles on a weekly chart is about how long? Four or five months, right? And I'm saying by three months beyond that, so you're going to buy seven, eight, nine months of time. Oh, I get it. That's pretty simple, huh? Yeah. So well, what if I don't expect the move to last 18 candles? Then you buy a little bit less. How do I know what it's going to last? About nine months from now, you go back and look and go, oh, that's how long it lasted. There's no way to know. But just through an educated guess, if you will, through experience, you get a sense of it. You're not going to be perfect. Not trying to be. All I'm looking to do is to protect the value of the asset of a long-term holding stock in a period of decline, of extended decline. Now with this, this is going to sound a little confusing. It's actually very easy. Delta is a Greek, didn't sound right. There are a number of ways to measure the movement of an option. They are known as the Greeks. There's five factors that come into play with this. One of those terms, or one of the Greeks, is something known as delta. Delta says if the underlying stock moves a dollar, how much will the option move? Whatever that number is, is its delta. So if it'll move 50 cents, it has a delta of 50. It'll move 20 cents. In theory, it has a delta of 20. Stock by itself has a delta of one. So what you want to think of is this. If you own one share of stock in your portfolio, you are said to be positive one delta. If you own 100 shares of stock, you're positive 100 deltas. What if I own four different companies, each with 100 shares? Then you're positive 400 deltas. Your 100 deltas of IBM, 100 of Microsoft, 100 of Boeing, 100 of Disney, or whatever you've got. But in aggregate, you would be positive, 
in that example, 400 deltas or 100 deltas on IBM. Let's use IBM as the example. So if I've got 100 shares of IBM, in fact, let's make it 1,000 shares. Math is easier. So I have 1,000 shares of IBM in my portfolio. How many positive deltas do I have? 1,000, right? What I want to do with puts, and puts really are insurance. What I want to do with puts is I want to be able to, I want to assure myself or insure with an E. I want to insure with an E that I have the equivalent number of put deltas as I do stock deltas. Okay? Call del calls have a delta of a positive number. Puts have a negative delta. So if I own a thousand deltas of IBM, which says I'm, I own a thousand shares, and I want to insure IBM, how many puts, how many put deltas must I buy? Negative 1,000, right? Or a thousand, uh, equivalent of a thousand inputs. An at the money put by definition, or an at the money option has a delta of 50 or 0.5. So if I want to insure with an at the money put, it has a delta of negative 0.5, I would need to buy not 1,000, but 2,000 worth. So I would be, divide by 100, that'd be 20 contracts. So I would have to buy 20 contracts of an at-the-money put on IBM, which would give me negative 1,000 deltas for the puts combined with my 1,000 deltas on the stock. I'm now what's known as delta neutral. What that means is if the stock were to move a dollar down, I would lose however many dollars on the stock. I would make that many dollars on the option. So I'm going to be about flat. It doesn't work precisely to that. It's a, it's a little art, not as much science. It's a smidge of science. It's a smidge of art. But that's the objective. Now, what gets interesting on this is kind of an odd beast of this. It depends how quickly the stock moves, but it is not uncommon. Let's say that you were to go buy, and let's say you had 1,000 shares. I think in the book I said 500. We'll go with 500. If I have 500 shares of IBM, and I want to insure it, and I want to do it with an at-the-money option, that would say I'd have to buy 1,000 puts, or 1,000 put deltas, right? Negative 1,000 to be precise. So I would buy 10 contracts. If the stock has a quick decline, it's not uncommon for what you lose on the stock to be less than what you make on the option, on the puts. Did he just say I'll make money on that? Yes, I did. I said it in a negative, in a, like a lawyer way. <laughs> They didn't understand it. If the stock has a quick decline, it's not, it's not a guarantee, but it's not uncommon that if you were at delta neutral just before the decline and it drops fast, your net, balance, your net worth will go up. You'll make more on the puts than you'll lose on the stock. I don't know why. I don't question it. It's cool. Delta goes up, but it goes faster. And so what's nice then, it's really an odd thing. You will be in, you'll, your friends will know that you have a boatload of shares of IBM or whatever company it is, and you'll go insure it. You don't tell them. You buy puts. And then some bad news, because those charts are set up, and then it falls, and it falls hard fast. And your friends will see you go, oh, man, isn't that horrible? You just took a big hit on IBM. But yeah, I really did. I can't do it. Try doing that. Yes, I did. And you did take a big hit on the stock, but you made money on the puts, and your net worth actually goes up. And then what you'll do is you'll stay in that until the decline is over. You sell the puts, and now you've got cash available that sits in your long-term holding account. You got it, Steve. That's exactly it. And now what you're going to do is you're going to use that cash to buy more shares.
You're doing dollar cost averaging, but not over days, over decades. It's very, very cool. There's a better word than I need a thesaurus. Cool just covers everything. But it's, it's incredibly powerful. Now the question comes up, when I look to do insurance, should I buy the at-the-money puts like you just said? What if I buy a put that has a delta of one or negative one? Could I do that? The answer is you certainly can. It's going to cost you a lot of money, but you wouldn't need to buy as many. Right? If I'm doing at-the-money, I have to buy double the number of shares. So if I got 500, I'd have to buy 10 contracts. If I bought a deep in the money, I might only have to buy five contracts. But man, that's expensive. Then, well, what if I split the difference? What if I get something that's like somewhere between 0.5 and 0.7? Do the math on that. Maybe you only need to buy, you know, one and a half times as much. And you run the math on these and the answer becomes clearest. What's the right answer? So what is the right answer? You're going to go figure it out. And then you'll understand. Because if I tell you the answer and you go, well, this one didn't quite work that way. Then you go figure it out. So it explains how to do it in the book. It explains up here again. So what I want you to do, when, if you want to practice these, when, you know, the market's a little toppy these days, isn't it? Maybe. Not to give any suggestions, but might be a little toppy. Should you see one of your long-term holding candidates look to be rolling over on a weekly chart? It probably would be a in very intelligent thing, even though you may not own shares of this long-term holding stock yet. A smart person, is that blunt enough, would practice this to say, hey, if I owned a thousand shares of IBM or Microsoft or Dell or, or Boeing or Disney, whatever you got, and it's rolling over, let me practice buying insurance so that when I get to the point where I do own a thousand shares of said stock, I know what to do. Because we're kind of looking near the top on something. We could run higher, now I've said this, and we'll probably run to the moon. Right, but we've been looking toppy for a while. At some point, we got to roll over. I don't know if it's going to happen Monday or in a year. I have no idea. It'll happen at some point. Not worried about it. When it does, I would strongly urge you to practice this. You say, but I don't have any long-term holdings. You forgot one word. Yet, practice this. The idea, again, remember the, the purpose of this is to build up your long-term holdings value. The initial step is financial freedom. But ultimately, it's to build up a big, huge pile of cash that's, you know, I'm about six feet tall. I want it to be waist deep in hundreds, running from that wall to that wall, just like that. Pallets and pallets of hundreds just stacked there that I just have to kind of wade through. And if it's starting to roll over, I'd like to know how to ensure some of that. I strongly urge you to do this when we get to the point of the market rolling over. Practice it on a bunch of stocks just to see what happens. You're not going to lose anything. Remember one thing also too, and it works really well with fire insurance on a house. Works this way with car insurance as well. Car insurance looks really expensive until you wreck your car. Fire insurance looks incredibly expensive until your house burns down. Puts are going to look incredibly expensive on your long-term holdings until that stock goes from 100 bucks a share down to 40 and you just gave back 60% of your net worth because you didn't have the smarts to practice it when I told you to. So that when the time comes and actually does and you've got the money, you're going to say, oh man, that's an expensive lesson. Yes, it will be. Fair enough question. Mm -hmm. So it's, you mean on your practicing or when you get to the point of actually being there? 
So his question is, at some point in the future, I'm going to have a chunk of shares in my long-term holdings account, and I will have spent all my money, and I don't have any cash available to buy puts. How am I going to do that? Where do I pull the money to do that? And the answer is, what you're going to be doing as you go along with this, you're going to be selling calls against those long-term holdings and generating small pockets of cash here and there. And so that it's, it's only once a year that you'll have absolutely zero cash in that account. And that's on or about the 1st of November. Cover that in tons of detail. In fact, I just covered it last week, all the fast track folks. But remember also, remember in the money management diagram, that house, it said when you start off, you're going to start off with a couple thousand bucks in your trading account. You'll build that up to some pile of money and then you'll start to shift the dollars over to your income account. And then you'll keep growing that and you'll keep shifting assets from the trading account growth into the income account. And then eventually that income account number becomes full. And now you've got excess that from the trading account that you don't need to put into your income account anymore. Where does that go? That rolls into your long-term holdings. What about if you have a huge month in your income account and I only was looking to make three or 5% and I made nine, where do I put that extra five to six points? You move that into your long-term holdings, all part of your trading plan. So Nick, the real answer is it's incredibly rare where you don't have cash available in the, in the account to purchase the puts. I've, I've never had it happen in my days of dealing with a long-term holding account. It's never happened. Yes, sir. When do I buy insurance? So at the, I hope I put it in there. At the top of this page, it says, didn't I put it in there? Second paragraph. When, it, when the charts are indicating a stock could decline for an extended period of time, which is a different way of saying when you see the weekly chart rolling over, because that to me is an extended period of time, that's when I would look to buy puts. So I'm not going to be, if I'm insured all the time, Ben, that's called a caller, right? Where I've always got, uh, it's a married caller. I've got puts and shares. I'm not doing that. I'm only, because I'm trusting my charts. I don't want you to trust the charts yet. I want you to prove to yourself they work. After you do this for a while, you'll learn to trust the charts. But I don't want, don't take my word for it. Go prove it to yourself that they work. And then once you see them set up to roll over on a weekly chart, now I would look to go buy insurance. Because I expect this move, down move to go for an extended period of time. Make sense? Any other questions on this? Yes. So our question is with the Greeks, there's delta, gamma, theta, vega, and rho. Delta is the underlying stock moves a dollar. How much in theory, all of this, everything is in theory. It's from UCLA. Everything's theory. Nothing's real, right? <laughs> Bam. Gotcha. I had to get one in today. And so Delta says in theory, if the underlying stock moves a dollar, how much should, again, in theory, how much should the option move? Gamma says if Delta moves, how much, sorry, on, the, on that first movement, how much will Delta then change? That's the gamma number. Theta says, what's the theoretical time decay with one day? Vega says, what's the volatility issue? So if volatility is high or lower or whatever, what impact will that have? Rowe says, what's the impact of interest rate? I haven't studied, I mean, I've studied this a ton. Rowe is the one that people spend the least amount of time on because interest rates change so infrequently. And I think they look at it more, especially these days, it's real, I think it's viewed more as an opportunity cost. And because interest rates today are, yeah, smidge is probably an exaggeration, right? The opportunity cost for that is just very, very minor. But, and to say, well, what happens when interest rate changes to options? I don't even look at it to that degree. And the reason why I don't look at it is because there's so many other factors that come in there. I, you know, how do you go out and parcel and say, well, this is because of Roe? 
I'll let the theoretical guys in Westwood deal with that. I'd rather just make money. Other questions? Yes, ma'am. Hey, welcome back. When will I break even on the insurance cost? Ask that differently. I'm not sure, I'm not sure where you're going with that. Yes. Uh-huh. Let me answer this. If I don't answer it, ask me again. So you're going to, so the, imagine you've got a stock hit the band spread on a weekly chart, hit the spread of band, come off the band, rolling back down. Now it's coming down. I buy insurance. If I wanted to close it out the next day, I'm going to lose a little bit of money because I, I bought at the bid, I'm going to sell at the ask. Say that right? I did, didn't I? If I didn't say it right, listen to what I mean. Right? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose a little bit on the spread if I have to close out the very next day or very soon thereafter. So I, there is a little bit of cost of insurance there. If I'm correct and the stock moves down, as the stock goes down in value, declines, then the puts will go up in value. Is it going to be a dollar for dollar? No. At what point does it become dollar for dollar? It depends on so many other factors. It's just, it's kind of one of these. You'd kind of take a guesstimate at it. The way you get that guesstimate is by having it be delta neutral. So you buy enough put deltas, which are negative deltas, to offset the positive stock deltas, and then you're close. Is it precise? No. Might you actually lose a little bit of money on the transaction? You could. But I'm not worried. You know, I've got a bazillion dollars tied up in IBM. If I end up, when it's all said and done, if I only took a 10% hit or 5% hit, I'm fine. I'm not worried about it. What I'm really trying to do is protect the bazillion dollars. And you recognize also, I'm not always, back to your question, am I always buying puts? The stock's going to vibrate around, right? There's going to be times where my net worth is this much, and then a couple of days later, it's this much. It's just moving around. I'm not, I can't worry about capturing the absolute. It's like in real estate. You can never get out at the top. You know, you know it's about there, and you just you close it when you can. Not too worried about it. Was that a good non-answer? I'm not sure. Did I answer kind of what you're asking? Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. Do I advocate? So would you liquidate your long-term holdings if the market's at the top? I would not. Here's what you want to think about. It's good to record when you chew ice. If I, if I said inflation tax, you all know what that means? Did anyone not know what I mean? No clue. Perfect. You're the only honest one here. Okay, what you want to think of is this. Imagine you buy a stock for 100 bucks three years ago. Rate of inflation, let's say, is 5%. So that says in, if my stock goes up at the rate of inflation, that says in a year it'll be at 105 a year from that, just rounding, it'll be 110. Forget about the compounding. A year from that, it'll be 115. Make sense? So what I, buy, I had $100 of, buying, of purchasing power three years ago, and I bought $100 worth of stuff. The rate of inflation is 5% per. So now my buying power three years ago, what bought 100, now I need 115. But I put it in stock, and that stock is now worth 115. So my, my net worth hasn't changed. My buying power hasn't changed, has it? So Ben, back to your point, if I go now sell the stock, I got to pay capital gains tax on 15 bucks, right? Uncle Sam is really nice. He'll charge you 20%, right? So that says I got to spend 20% of my $15 in gains. So that's, it's three bucks, right? So now my net worth is only 112. I call that inflation tax. So what that says is, going back to your point, I don't ever want to sell my long-term holdings, because even if I keep up with the rate of, if I just keep up with the rate of inflation on my long-term holdings, if I go to sell them, I got to pay the tax man. And now I've lost, I'm no longer where I was before. I don't ever want to sell my long-term holdings. And what will happen is I will pay tax when I buy puts and sell calls against the long-term holdings. I'm going to have capital gains there. I'm totally fine with that. And I'm going to have to pay the highest marginal tax rate on that. Did I say that right, Mr. Accountant? Got to pay the highest marginal tax rate on that. 
It's taxed at the, at the worst rate it could be for you. Remember how to vote in November. Plug, plug, plug. And so what's going to happen then, I'm okay paying the tax on those gains, but I don't ever want to have to pay tax on the purchases I made on my long-term holdings years and decades ago, because now you know that has risen hopefully with the rate of inflation plus, but if I got to pay tax on it, I just, I got the inflation. I don't know how, I, to me, I call it an inflation tax. I don't know if that's a proper term, but Mike, is there a term for that? I don't know if, well, it's a capital gains is what you're paying on the gain, but it's really, because even if you just keep up with the rate of inflation, it, technically it is a capital gain, but if, you're, if your buying power just kept up with the rate of inflation, you didn't gain anything. And now you sell it, and now you're actually behind where you'd been if you just stuck them, if you had just held on to it. By saying that, I don't know if there's a, an accounting term for that. It's just my own, I'm done. The accountant in the room likes it. I'm impressed. My work is done. <laughs> oh, he's uh, Jekyll Island. Have any, has anyone read the Jekyll Island book? You love it? Make you mad? I- interesting. If you have not read it yet, it's on the reading list. If you want to make it the next book to read, strongly recommend, strongly urge you to read it. It will open your eyes. You will not be happy. Actually, you will be happy. It'll annoy you a little bit, and you'll be happy. Oh, my God, I'm glad I understand this. And you look around, and you go, I wish you people understood this. And then remember what I said before about your friends change? Your friends will change. Okay? Strongly urge you to read the book. All right, next page. Cover this, right? Do me a favor. Turn to your neighbor. Oh, one question. Don't turn to your neighbor yet. Is it ever necessary or beneficial? Yes and yes. For insurance? This question is when, you didn't say this way, when do you use the monthly chart? I'm always aware of it, but I'm not focused on it. Digest that a little bit. You can throw another one. I'm okay. You got it. His question is, so will the monthly chart maybe give me a hint that it's turning over? Think of it this way, Aaron. I'm going to use the weekly to insure for most stocks. Because right? remember, on my long-term holdings, I don't want stuff that's incredibly, I want boring, stodgy, fall asleep at the wheel companies or fall asleep at the switch. Think of what Buffett owns. He doesn't buy rock and stocks. Right? He buys boring stocks that are just kicking off earnings year after year. They got a moat around them, right? Strong barriers to entry for whatever reason that may be. And they're just boring stuff. You know, we're going to keep drinking sugar water and, you know, buying soap and razors that we buy at Walmart for the rest of our lives. He's just cashing in on that. That's all he's doing. But is he really thrilled with if Gillette comes out with the new latest and greatest, you know, track 12, right? got 12 razors, going to get a little bit closer shave? He doesn't care. Right? It's all about, is it generating income that he can then mass, you know, pile up at Berkshire and then use that to go buy another boring company? And so when you see the stock rolling over, I want to, because they're boring companies, I'm not worried about the day-to-day fluctuation. I want to see when it's going to roll over for what I expect will be weeks of decline. And then with that, with the monthly chart, if I've got another reason, if you will, on the monthly chart to say it's probably going to be coming down for weeks, if not months of decline, now I'm interested. That, I don't know if that was what you're asking. Okay, cool. Yes, sir. His question is, with buying insurance, the goal is to get to delta neutral at the purchase. Could you use an out-of-the-money put to get to delta neutral? You could, but I think if you run the price and run the math on it, and then you say, what is the likelihood of that turning into, because remember, we're trying to, I'm not, if you're buying out-of-the-money puts, you're trying to make money on the puts, right? The objective with insurance is to protect the long-term holding. Go the other way. Congratulations, you got $5 million of IBM shares, Okay. And IBM is going to start to roll over. You got $5 million of net worth tied up. And $5 million is not big. Let's say $50 million. Make it a big number so you kind of go, ooh, get a little uncomfortable with it. So $50 million of IBM starting to roll over. Just drop 10%. That 
Now you only have 40, and that happened within like three days. Very common. Now you got $45 million left of IBM. You took a $5 million hit in the last four days. You want to buy out of the money puts to ensure that? Now you want to ask that same question again? <laughs> the, the idea behind this, again, it's not to make money on the puts. It's to insure the asset. That's why I said early on, you got to think of when you buy car insurance, you're not trying to make money on car insurance. You're trying to protect the value of the asset. It's like when you buy homeowner's insurance, you're not trying to make money when your house burns down. You're trying to be able to rebuild the house. The only difference might be on life insurance, right? You might buy more than you're worth. Somebody got that. Go ahead. Say it again. Out of the money put one would be less, but you got to buy a ton of it. Yeah, you just run the math. I think you'll see. But again, when you're doing the out-of-the-money puts, it's got to have a huge move before you start to collect. What if it only goes down a little bit? You're gonna, it's going to be very painful, which goes back to when you see the whole market rolling over and you see some stocks that are long-term holding candidate types roll over, practice this. And since you're asking, please, other people, don't, don't spend the time. But Daryl, I want you to practice the out-of-the-money puts. Everybody else, don't worry about it. Okay? <laughs> There's an answer for you. <laughs> but practice it because then you'll see. Because the way you're asking the question and what, what I do know about you, the greed monsters, I can see it from here. Right? So the rest of you don't worry about it. I just answered your question. All right, do me a favor. Turn to your neighbor. Tell him what I just told you about insurance. Take three minutes. Okay, we all set? What did you find out on the talk to your neighbor? Do they know more than you do? Or do they know less than you do? Half of you, that answer will be true. The other half, the answer will be true. <laughs> What's that old thing? If it, this, what is it? One, what is it? One third of the people are, how's that go? Look to the person on your right. If they're good looking, look to the person on the left. If they're not good, something about one third of the people in the world are ugly. If you're sitting next to two good looking ones and you kind of, something like that. I can't remember. <laughs> something like that. I don't remember what it was. Anyway, I'll put that on the recording. <laughs> what was your question? Yeah, ask me the question. It was, it was a good one. Yes? So his question is on insurance. I'm probably going to insure on the weekly chart because I want to cover an extended period of decline, which if I see a 3x on a weekly chart, it should last four weeks. Right? So now the question is, what if you get a sloppy 3x on the weekly chart? Stoke crosses this week, the two and the three cross next week, and then MACD crosses two weeks after that. So I have a sloppy 3x. Do I still buy insurance? My answer is, forget about it saying weekly chart. When you do your practice, if you saw that kind of a setup, what direction is the stock going to go? And you say, well, it depends on what it's doing in relation to the Bollinger Bands and, 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 all that stuff. But it doesn't matter whether that's on a daily chart, a 55, or a weekly. All the charts act the same, which is why you want to practice the bad trades. So you get a sense of, how close to good does it have to be for it to work? Said differently, how ugly will I accept before I would call it a trade? Right? I mean, that's really what it is. And now what you want to think of too is now imagine on your long-term holdings, you got a bazillion dollars tied up in stock A, whatever that is. Now you see a very sloppy 3X. Which indicator do I have to have? By the way, which one do I love? I love MACD. So let's say MACD is the last one to cross and it's taken four, five, six candles for them all across, and finally MACD rolls over. You say, well, gosh, all the indicators are pointing down. It was a very sloppy, it wasn't even an entry, but it was a very sloppy 3X. 
is that worth insuring? And the answer is, I don't know. It's going to all depend on what you see on the chart. But remember the very first sentence in this insurance stuff, you don't buy insurance to make money. You buy insurance to insure the asset should it decline in value. So if you see all the indicators pointing down, it's probably, if one were to have to make a bet, you'd say probably going down. I want to insure the value of the asset. It wouldn't be unwise to insure it. Now what if it turns, you know what's gonna happen, the minute you buy insurance, you know it's gonna pop back up. And then you take the insurance off, and what happens? You lose money on the insurance. But when you buy insurance, what do you expect to do? Lose money on the insurance. It did exactly what you expected. It's, this is, don't confuse the word trade with insurance. You're insuring a massive pile of asset against a, a significant decline. That's all we're trying to do. You are not always going to make money on the insurance. You're not always going to be right on the move down. You can't worry about it. You're trying to protect the massive asset. Does that make sense? It's tough to get your mind around it because you're so used to saying, well, I only want to do the trade if I know it's going to work. Perfect. But if it's starting to roll over, you got a big pile of money tied up, you don't want to see that deplete dramatically. Okay? There is definitely an art. Bunch of questions. Yes, ma'am. Great question. It's going to make you ask that question too. It's funny, the same questions come up from different people. How often should you look at your long-term holdings? I would urge you to have your long-term holdings be stodgy, boring, don't move around much companies, which means do you need to check them every 55 minutes? Nope. If you're looking to insure them, how long, if I were to bring up a chart and say, is this an entry, yes or no, for a put, how long would you need to study it? About 10 seconds, right? Maybe 10 seconds. You're supposed to have how many long-term holdings? 12. So if you spend 10 seconds on each one, that's 120 seconds. For math people, that's two minutes. So if you wanted to look at your long-term holdings for two minutes every day, that would be excessive. Because you're going to look and go, look, ABC stock is nowhere close to needing to do anything. I don't need to look. I'm just going to glance at and see, did the price dramatically go up or down? If it did, I'll worry about it. If it didn't, don't care. So now I've only got 11. So now I'm down to one hour or one minute and 50 seconds. I look at it once a week. Unless you see it's getting very close to roll over, that one you may spend a little more time on. But generally speaking, you don't need to look at it every single day. However, oddly enough, you find that you will. Because Why? You got a boatload of money tied up in that company. You want to know what's going on. And not that you're obsessing about if it went up 50 cents or down 50 cents. You just want to be sure that you didn't get slammed on something and whether or not you need to buy insurance. It's all the fire analogy to me is the greatest one. If you didn't, if you couldn't have full-time fire insurance on the home in Malibu, but you can only do it, you know, on, once you decide to do it, you can, but you can't have it on there all the time. All you do is you wake up every day or that night and go, no smoke on the horizon, I'm good. Next day, you look, nah, no smoke on the horizon. Oh, smoke on the horizon. Let me call the Allstate guy. Buy insurance. It's almost like that. Way oversimplified. Michael, what you got? Did you have more? Go ahead, dude. Are we worried about puts being exercised? We would if we sold puts, but we're buying them. It's ours. It's our, it's, there's, the only one that can exercise is me because I own them. Let me, back, let me explain that again. His question was, am I worried about puts being exercised? I only worry about something being exercised if I sell it. I bought the puts. And so I have the right to, by owning a put, by definition, I have the right to sell my stock to somebody else. So I can sell, if I wanted to, I could sell my stock to the guy that bought the put from me, but I don't want to sell my stock. I just want to take, basically what you're doing is you're becoming the insurance company. When we did talk to your neighbor, who were you talking to? Nobody. 
Joaquin, it's your fault, man. <laughs> what you want to do, you want to get to delta neutral, right? So if you own 10,000 shares, and that would be the equivalent of 100 contracts, or sorry, that'd be equivalent of 10,000 delta, or what did I say? 1,000 shares, so you'd have 1,000 deltas. So you'd need to buy 1,000 negative put deltas. Make sense? Cool. All right, someone else had a question in the back. Yes, ma'am. Question is, when do you buy insurance on long-term holdings versus selling calls? Great question. You buy insurance when you expect a long period of decline. Most easy way to answer it is off the weekly chart. And if the stock's very volatile, the answer might change. But off something that's a very slow-moving, stodgy company, I would buy insurance off the weekly chart, right? And doing that when I see that rolling over. I'm gonna look to sell calls on the daily, or maybe even the 233. When I see that setting up to go over, and that's gonna go down for, if it's a daily chart, how long will that go down for again? Days. That's not an extended period of time, and I'm not expecting to get rich off that. I'm not expecting to get rich on anything, on any single trade. I'm just trying to sweep in the change. So the stock is moving down a little bit. I'm just gonna capture a little bit and monetize it, build up a little, a little stash of capital, and then just hopefully do that again and again and again as it's just kind of vibrating around. And then as I see it start to roll over on a bigger chart for a longer period of time, then I'm gonna buy puts to ensure the value of the asset as opposed to just trying to capitalize on a little bit of a shorter move. Does that make sense? Cool. Yes, sir. Could you sell insurance? Could you buy puts and also sell calls? Absolutely. In the same example, so if you saw the daily, I might be selling calls in the weekly setup to go, oh my gosh, it's keeping going. I'm going to buy puts. I'm in it for the longer term. Okay? Yes, sir. On the long-term holdings, what do I do around earnings? Genuflect. I'm not worried about on long-term holdings. I don't care. So that's the one. I won't hold a trade through earnings, but to me, a long-term holding stock is not a trade. That, so once I see that, I'm not gonna, I won't insure through the earnings, but if the earnings cause a 3X, then I might look to do insurance. But it's, I'm doing it off the chart, not at, it, I'm catching the result of the earnings, I'm not trading it in advance of the earnings. What I wanna be, I, I'm not sure how I would do that. What you wanna be careful on is, I don't want to ever get taken out of my long-term holding stock. So if I sell a call, there's always a chance I can get taken out. And so I, I would take off the short call in advance of earnings because if it gaps up, I can end up losing my stock, right? I don't want to have my long, I don't want the risk of my long-term holdings getting taken away. Because of that, it's the tax issue. And it's because I, I want to own this. If I had enough money, I'd buy the company, I'd be Buffett. I'd buy the company outright. I just don't have that kind of capital, right? And so I don't want to have the risk of somebody, to me, that's playing poker. I'm betting my company on, you know, whether, who's got a better hand on the next poker hand. I don't want to do that. You see my thinking? Does that make sense? Okay. Someone else had one in the back. Yes, sir. Because um, the reason I want to practice the bad trades, I know what Miss America looks like on a trade, right? This is the absolute vision of beauty that I'm looking for on a trade. 3X and, 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 and. There's not many that fit that. Or there's quite a few that fit that, but there's thousands that don't. How close do I have to be? It's, not, it's, a, it's a rhetorical question, but how close do I have to be? That's why I practice the bad ones. It also trains my eye to say, you know what, MACD crossed later, earlier, Stoke did this, or one off the bands or whatever else. If I practice those and write it down, I know I'm going to see that set up again in the future. And if I've seen 10 or 15 or 20 of those, and I got it solidified in my brain what it's likely to do, then I can tell you, what, you it gets kind of weird. In the fast track, we do one of the assignments to do prediction homework. And what they do is they run through, they're supposed to run through every stock on the watch list and predict where it's going to go and do it over the course of a year. At the beginning of the year, Charles, you doing this? You've been doing it? 
at the beginning of the year, did you suck? How you doing now? Can you predict? Can you predict some? You look and you can nail it. So he can tell you three, four days for sure what 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 the price is going to be or what direction it is. He can nail the price in three or four days. People would never believe. I'm recording that one. I'll probably have to cut that out because people won't believe it. Seriously. But you get to the point where you can pick what price will be three, four days out. His objective is to get it in five. That's hard. Picking one or two days out is actually really easy. Have you found that? Yeah. One or two, three or four days is a little bit tougher. Five is hard. His objective is to tell me what it's going to be in five days. And not, not that the stock's at 100, it's going up. And that's at 100 in five days, it'll be 106.50. That, that, that's skill, man. That ain't art. Seriously, and that, you know, you saw my intense stare. He ever once saw I get like laser. That's skill at that point. Yes, man. That's where people look at you, Sam, like you're a little crazy. When you, you go, oh no, man, and you just you feel like a CIA interrogator, just like because the eyes just get very icy. And you can, he gave me the ice, and I said, you getting it? His eyes were like he gets it. I can tell, right, just from doing the work. But and it, Charles, how do you get there? Work. Yeah, there's no secret. It's just work. Ask that differently. You because th- what I heard you say was, tell me if I'm here, if I didn't hear right. I think it's going down, but I don't have a triple cross. Does that mean that they all cross just not simultaneously? Or they haven't crossed yet? So if they haven't crossed yet, it's not going down. Right? I got to have, what again? What do I love? I got to have MACD. So if, it's, if price is going down and MACD hasn't crossed yet, that's just, that to me, that's just fluctuation. That's just vibration. And it might have a 10 or 15% swing. With, and think about it. When, and you say, well, could it move that much? Next time you see a, big, a stock go down big and then look to rise, look at the very lowest point. Get that dollar value. And then look what stock was when it actually crossed on the daily chart. It's not uncommon to see 15% off the bottom. 10, 15%. So the stock could be at 100, doing its thing. It bottoms out at 100. By the time it gives you an entry, it could be like 109 to 115. You go, oh my God, I left 15 points on the table. That says it'll do the same thing going from the top. So it could hit 100 bucks. By the time it signals for an entry, it might be at 85. So now your $100 million in IBM is now worth $85 million in IBM by the time you insure it because it hadn't signaled. So you, you'll have that much of a swing on that stock. You say, oh my God, that, I'm get, I just, in that example, I just gave up, I'll use big numbers because then it really drives the point home. Oh my God, I just gave up $15 million in IBM. Oh, I don't like that. Yeah, but you could be selling calls because the daily chart will probably signal. You, you're probably starting to chip away at some of it. But you're going to see some dramatic movement in there and you got to be comfortable with that. Not comfortable with that. The key word is yet. But you already are comfortable with it because you've done it. When I put the big number, that scared you. But if I said it was coming up off the bottom, you didn't freak out at that. It's the same because you're thinking about the number and you got to, it's the same trade. It is the exact same trade. But you're, when I said that, and the reason I, I use that big number is you're now focused on the account balance. And that will screw you up every single time. That's why this takes a long time. Other questions? Yes, sir. I don't want to, yeah. So if I'm, I don't want to be short calls when I'm going through earnings because I don't want the risk of the stock getting taken away. Because a news event, it could gap up, right? And then I could get exercised. Let me answer the question you didn't ask. I don't want to spend too much time on selling calls, but let me run through it. When you buy a call, what does that mean? What does that give you? The right. Not, don't use the word option. But the right. right? Then option is, say, I have the right to purchase stock. Let's say that I'm the person that sold you the call. So I'm short now a call. I sold a call. What am I on the hook for? I'm obligated to sell my stock if you ask me to do so. So assuming that I, now let's take it from the long-term holding. Let's say I got my thousand shares of IBM or whatever I've got. 
I sell a call, and I don't sell it to you, John, I sell it to the market maker, but let's pretend you're the market maker. So now when I do that, what have I done? I've obligated myself to sell the call to the market maker, whomever it is, whenever they want to do it. They could do it right now if they wanted to. What I have found works really well is when you sell a call, be sure there's time value there. You are less likely to get exercised when you've got time value because the math doesn't make sense. If you sell it, John, with a very small amount of time value or you hold it where there's very little time value left, there's a greater likelihood of getting exercised well before expiration date. It may not happen, but the likelihood is greater because there's no time value. I don't mind. I don't mind. But I mean, it's important to understand. What I don't want to do, it said in the, one of the earlier sections, when you sell calls, it said, do not sell them in advance of an event that might get the stock taken away or something to that effect. That's a legal way of saying earnings, <laughs> right? Or even some legal announcement, right? That might cause the stock, if you've committed to sell, I'm willing to sell my stock for 100 and it's currently at, I don't know, 97 and good news comes out, now the stock's worth 120. Guess what's gonna happen to your long-term holdings? They're going to become somebody else's short-term holdings. <laughs> Make sense? Okay, cool. Uh-huh. So his question is, do I hold puts through earnings? Remember, when I own a put, I have the right to sell. So a put on a long-term holding, there's, there's a couple of, you know, and, and, and things with that. A put on a regular trade, I'm not going to hold, this is strictly a long-term holding answer. I can argue both ways. Okay. And I'll know what answer is correct in about two months. So if I see all the indicators pointing down and I'm in puts and I know earnings are coming up, there have been times when I've just held on to the puts and the stock. Okay, because I expect it to mean that the charts point down, I expect it's just going to keep running on going. There have been other times where I have closed out the insurance because the indicators weren't as strongly pointed down. It was looking a little bit weak, might have been down near a potential support area or it looks like it's poised to rise, where I will just take the puts off. Knowing that I could get slammed on earnings. But remember, I'm in the stock for how long? Forever, I'm not worried about earnings, right? So the answer is, it depends on what the chart is, because I've done it both ways, and I can argue for both ways. But if you clearly see everything pointing down, then I'm, I'm expecting it to keep going down, and I might get slammed on it, right? It might bounce up the other way, but what's my purpose for owning the puts? Insurance. It's protecting the assets. So, but again, don't mix up the puts with doing a trading account put. I mean, you got, I got to be real clear on that. I'm talking only long-term holdings. Make sense? Cool. It all goes back to the first word on this. To protect, I was going to say the first word I said, I was going to see if I wrote it. To protect the value of the long-term holding during extended periods of time. It doesn't say to make money. It's to protect the value. You got to be clear. It's just like buying car insurance. You're expecting when you write the check to Allstate first of the year every year, you expect to lose the money. You're never going to see it again. It's the same thing with this. We good? All right. Art on the chart. If you haven't figured it out yet, learning to read charts isn't something you're going to pick up over a weekend. It's going to take months and years. Okay, there's a lot of stuff in a chart. Some of you are sending me emails saying, hey, I got this great setup and it didn't work. Can you tell me why? And I've called these people and said, I can, but it, you won't understand. Just write it all down. That's why you write all this stuff down. Because I don't know what you're seeing. 
there's so many things on the chart to see. I don't know what you're seeing. And if I describe it to you, I've said it already. You just didn't hear it because you weren't ready to hear it yet. Come back in September, you'll hear it differently. There's a ton of stuff on a chart. The other thing with this stuff, there are patterns. And pattern recognition is very subject to interpretation. And so you have to learn to realize, one, what the chart is telling you, and two, what your head is telling you. Because sometimes your personal bias will screw things up. And you have to learn to recognize that. And it takes a while. You got to make a bunch of mistakes. Okay? So what I've got is a few examples of art. First one. Say, what does it look like to make a purchase for a long-term holding? Here's Exxon, where that vertical line is in July. By the way, when do we buy long-term holdings? I forgot. Rarely in July, sometimes August, usually September, always by the end of October. So in that July to October range. So look at Exxon. This is July of 2010. Is that a 3X? See that? Is that a 3X? Is it close? Yeah, if I saw the indicators looking like that, would I say the stock's going to go up? Yeah. How long will it go up? Candles. And this is a weekly candle, so it's going to run for weeks. Entry price there is about 60 bucks. 59.68. If you had bought in there, by the end of January, the stock was, what's that, 85 something? So you bought in at, what I say, 60? Went up to 85 in about three, four months on your long-term holdings. A $25 move on a $60 stock on something you plan to hold for how long again? I think you'd be okay, wouldn't you? Look at MACD. Did MACD ever give you any indication it was rolling back down? Nope. Anissa, you bought this thing in July. Do you need to check it every day? Oh, but I got $100 million, I better. Right now we treat it a little bit differently. But my point is, but you just look quick glance at MACD. Is that okay? You're totally fine. Do I need to even think about doing puts anywhere in there in that whole range from July up into where we are right now on the far right edge? Nope. How long do I need to look at this stock every day? Every week, right? Very quick. There's nothing on there at all that would freak me out. Totally fine. And I got a, what's that? That's a 40% move on the stock on something I plan on owning forever. Now, if it were to start to roll over from here, understand I put 60 bucks into it. I now have $85 in equity or in value, right? And it really is equity. So I get 85 bucks in equity. If this thing were to roll over from here to the point on a weekly chart where I would want to buy puts, it might not signal until, what's that green line at? 80? Looks like it got as high as about 88 maybe. Right, where the red's going to cross green, price is at 80 bucks. Stock looks like it peaked out at about 88. That means I gave back 10% from my ultimate net worth, if you will. You see that? That wick is up at about ballpark 88. Where the green line is now is 80 and a half. If the red line were to flip over really fast and drop down, that would say that I'd see a 10% hit on the value of my net worth and my long-term holdings. I got to be totally fine with that. No problem. Okay. Next page, well, if I were to see it signaling, if, yeah, if, I, there's, on the right edge, there's no reason to do it now. Hypothetically, if, yes. Next one is Disney. Would Disney be viable for a long-term holding? Sure, right, what does Disney do? That's a dumb question, that's a loaded question. I, they do everything. What does Disney want? Hanson's view of the world, right? They just want more babies. Think about it. If there's more babies coming in the world, Disney's thrilled. 
right? They want to see the birth rate go and go and go. If you think about it, any of you have kids or are having kids, we had an expectant, someone expectant in here? They were before, maybe they're not here today, but there was an expectant mom. You think that person will be a Disney customer? Very quickly, right? And they'll buy everything from beach towels to diapers to t-shirts. This before we even get to the park, right? They'll be buying the movies, all, you know, the character stuff, all these things. Disney ought to send them a thank you card in the hospital when the little baby appears, right? So there's your Disney purchase around about October. Closing price there, 34 and a half, early October. Price coming down, hit the band, spread the band, came off the band, kind of hugged there around the 200 and then popped from there. Is that a perfect 3X? Nope, nope. But notice MACD crossed, Stoke had crossed three, four candles before, and the two and the three crossed right there. Look at MACD from that point. Did it give you any indication at all that you ought to be buying insurance on it? Nope. Red barely crossed green in April. Oh, it did, and look at that MACD cross from right there. Right, so about six candles from the far right edge. See where everything crossed going down? So you might have insured there at what, about 42, something like that? And now look what happened. You bought insurance, you go, oh, I hope it's a Disney craters, right? And you start thinking the way, like, I'd love to see Disney fall to 20 because you have insurance, you're totally fine. You wanna hear about all kinds of nasty stuff happening to Disney, even though you own a boatload of it because you have insurance. Because what happens is if that were to happen, your insurance goes way up in value. And whatever you lose in value in Disney stock, you made on your puts. And then you're going to use that money to go buy more shares. It's really backwards thinking. Once you're insured, you end up praying that the company that you own tons of just gets slammed. It's really weird because when it happens, you end up making money on the puts. Your net worth doesn't change. And now you have capital to go buy more shares. When the shares are low, it's an awesome thing. So it is kind of, you'll talk to your friends and go, well, wait, 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 I thought you owned a boatload of Disney. Go, yeah, I hope it falls. You're sick. I know, I can't figure it out either, but <laughs> it makes no sense. But that's what you're looking for. So now in that example, so if you had insured it at about 42, back around 1st of April, and then all the indicators went and turned back up, right? See how MACD is crossing back up the far right edge? You got to take the insurance off. Stock's up now, whatever it is, 45? Oh my God, you lost money on the insurance. I told you that can happen. You don't worry about it. But what you lost on the insurance you made in stock, you're okay. Totally fine. Someone had a question. I ignored him. Yes, sir. You sure you didn't go to SC? That's a good question. <laughs> when are you most likely to buy insurance? Better question. Is that what you're asking? The best place to buy insurance is when the weekly chart goes to roll over, right? I mean, that's what you're looking for. When is the weekly chart most likely to roll over? When is it least likely to roll over? Probably in the fall, right? Coming off the band doing that. A lot of times what you'll see is the stock will make a, spring, cover this in fast track, the stock will make a spring high and then start to roll over as you go into the summer. It's not uncommon to see that become, it's not always, not a guarantee, it depends what the weekly is doing, but it's not uncommon to see more long-term holding, selling calls and or buying puts that time of year. But it really depends on the stock. I guess the better answer I would give you would be, have you come up with your list of long-term holdings? You got your dozen names. Have you, are you down to 12 or are you down to like 14 or 15? You know the 12. Take each one of those 12 and back them up in time. Go back about 20 years. Look on a weekly chart. Look at the where you'd make the purchases. And look and go, oh, I had to get them here. Now do the same thing on the weekly chart and say, when would I have bought insurance? 
And when you look at that, and then you just kind of do the quick calc and say, all right, I'd have insured, you know, I bought it at 40, it ran to 80, I insured it about 75, it dropped to 30, I'd have made 30, 40 bucks. And if you start adding the cash back in and do that, you will, I will be your favorite SC grad of all time. You know what I mean? Because when you look at that and realize how the numbers work out, it's eye-popping. And this is, a, this is not an active trading strategy. And for all of you, if you get nothing else out of this class, if you understand what I just said about when to buy the long-term holdings and how to insure them, you will become a very, very, very wealthy person and not have to trade actively at all. If you'll apply what I showed you with this and understand with the time of year in that, it's phenomenal. It's not going to happen overnight. That's a decades strategy. But if you get that, you'll do incredible. You can stay at your job forever. You'll do very, very well in your 401k. Okay. Next one, Jaw Solar Holdings. In your trading career, actually in your lifetime, which really should be one and the same, because I expect your trading career to be your lifetime. In your lifetime, you're going to run into, no pun intended on this one, new hot stocks. Happens to be a solar stock, no pun intended. But you're going to, ha, ha, ha. You're going to, I had to look all day for that stock. You're going to find stocks that are very hot because of market cycle, product cycle, whatever it may be. That stock went from nothing to 100 plus, right, from a post-split perspective. If you didn't catch any of the stock moves up, no problem. If you did, congratulations. This was a great trading stock. I believe there were income account trades on this one, on the move up. But if you missed it, don't worry about it. In fact, if you missed it and now you see it way up there, cheer it on some more. Tell all the people you don't like to go buy some. Don't tell your friends, right? The people you're kind of not happy with. Cheer that sucker on because stuff that goes up that high, what does it have to do? It's got to come back down. So you turn the page. What was at 120 got down to well under 10, I believe, at like a 90% decline, which means you have opportunity to make money on this on the decline. So what goes up in some kind of a hot industry like that? Keep an eye on it. It tends to, it's not going to go back down to zero. That doesn't always happen. But you keep an eye on these. Don't get annoyed that you missed the up move. Cheer for it to go even higher because then it tends to come down a little bit harder. Okay? Different way of thinking about it. Prediction on GoPro, nope. But you go look at the charts and you can see some of this stuff. Now, what that means is even if you miss that upward trajectory, don't kick yourself. Keep an eye on it. You may still try and catch some of the up move if it's there. Do not become enamored with it, right? Trade what it is doing. And as it rolls back down, trade what it is doing. Something to keep an eye on. Next piece. Yes, ma'am. How characteristic is this for new stocks? So the better, let me answer a different question. On that hot stock, if you will, you trade it up, you trade it down. What you do not ever do this is not a long-term holding stock. Just because it's had a huge run-up, do not equate its trading potential with its marriage potential, right? This is not a stock you would want in your long-term holdings. You expect to be there forever. And you may say, yeah, yeah, but I think solar is the way to go. That's fine. You're entitled to your opinion. Whether I agree or not is irrelevant. But you don't know if this stock is because there may be another stock that is a better solar stock. But it hasn't been around long enough for it to be long-term holding viable, if you will, right? Hey, Peter, if I look through the IBD list, 
you've been doing IBD for a while, and I've seen some names that come on and they go, Foom, and then it falls off the list because the stock went, Foom, right? How many of those that you see go, Foom, do you see go, Foom, say that again, all of them. So when you see a very hot stock that goes, Foom, keep an eye on it because it's very, very, very common that it's going to go, Foom. you trade it, you take advantage of that. Some would say that's exploitation. I say that's opportunistic, right? And the reason I asked him is because with IBD, what they do in their methodology, Sophia, they look for stocks that have strong earnings, strong sales, whatever else, and they're on a huge run. And they only trade them up. But when they roll over and die, they tend not to die slow. They tend to die kind of ugly, which is very opportunistic. Not all of them. Now they say that, they're all going to struggle around and you get smacked on it. But it's not uncommon to see them take a header. Now, it doesn't mean they go to zero. I mean, Jaw ja Solar Holdings was kind of a unique one. But Peter, it's not, what I put out was not uncommon. See a stock go from zero to 100 and it drop back down to 30. What's that? Many of them. Inve oh, sorry. Investors Business Daily. It's like a Wall Street Journal. It's equivalent for the Wall Street Journal with the trading strategy around it. Okay. And so I made a ton of money using that strategy. Allowed me to quit my job by doing that. And I don't use it today. What happened? I found stuff that's better. Why Peter's in the back of the room. He understands IBD, but he keeps coming back here every Sunday. Go figure. I think it's because he likes lunch. All right, next piece. You're going to find stocks that are one product wonder stocks in your trading career. People get really excited about the company or about the product. They drive the stock price up. Krispy Kreme donuts. <laughs> it's a donut shop, right? Good donuts. A lot of calories in one of those things. Good donuts, though. I made a ton of money on these guys going up. Did okay going down, too. It's a donut shop, for God's sakes. Right? I, yeah, exactly. How new and exciting can this be? There's tons of examples of these things. Taser. The guys that make the, the Taser device. A few years ago, they were going gangbusters until somebody figured out how to break the monopoly or until some people died from getting tased. The thing, bro, don't tase me, whatever this thing was saying. Then you got Crocs, right? Crocs, comfortable, but ugly shoes, right? If any of you are wearing them, I apologize. They're still but ugly. They're very comfortable, right? Is that something that's going to be around for the next 40 years? Probably not. Can you trade the stock? Yes. Is it a long-term holding? No. Trade it up when it's going up. Trade it down when it's going down. But do not equate a one product wonder stock was something that you would want to own forever in your long-term holdings. It is not a marriage candidate. It's a trading date, if you will. Make sense? Do not mix the two of them up. It's an employee. It's an even better way to think about it. You trade it. You profit from it. You move on. Once it stops moving, move on. Go find the next one. Next example you're going to find, there will be market cycles in real estate, in whatever other kind of industry you can think of. There will be some hot sector. A couple years ago it was solar. Before that it was real estate, where things are going gangbusters. Here's an example of Toll Brothers. This is from October of 04. What was the housing market doing in October of 04? On fire, right? If you could fog a mirror, you could make money in real estate. It didn't take any kind of incredible knowledge. You just had to be in the game. So you know that that's going on in the real estate market. Here's one of the leading home builders at that time of year. 
right? Look at that chart where the line is. That's October, which is in advance of the time of year you expect the market to rise. We're in a very hot sector across the country. You got the leading stock in the sector at the time of year that we expect it to rise and it's signaling to go up. Please trade those. Please don't miss those. End of October, entry there was what, 22? If you just traded it on, if you, if you went to the upper band, it went outside the band at about 20, what's that, 28? On that wick outside, about November 8th or so. If you just closed it out there, 22 to 28 is six bucks. That's about a 30% ROI in three weeks, two, three weeks. If you'd waited for price to cross the middle band, if you said, I'm gonna stay in this a little bit longer, on the far right edge, you're still in the trade. It's north of 30. You had a 50% ROI. Price never broke the middle band if you wanted to use that as your exit point. In the hottest sector, when the whole country was going hog wild about real estate, you get the leading stock in that sector. You don't need to be in real estate. You just play a stock. Make 50% on your money by four months. Okay? Mm -hmm. Yep. Doing the three. Go so right here, about November 8th, okay? How do I know not to get out? So I could, his question is on that big wick that goes out, you got a big wick on, um, that about November 8th, see what I'm talking about? How do I know not to get out there? The answer is you could get out there because price is, what happens when price goes way outside the upper band? Comes back in. So if you saw price during that day way outside the upper band, it has been walking the bands for the past two weeks, you could have closed it right there. That would have been an intelligent exit. Say, yeah, yeah, but it kept going. Thank you. Don't be greedy. But it kept going. How much more did it go? That's what, 26? That's 26 and a half, 27? Went up another buck. You're within a dollar of the top. I'm okay with that. His, ne his next point from where the entry was, it's 17 to the wick. So Dan, 17 candles to that upper wick outside the band. So there's enough intelligence that you get enough reasons to say, look, it's outside the bands. We've been running. I've been running for an extended period of time. I'm okay just calling it done. I'm done. So there's enough intelligent reasons to get out. What if it keeps going after I'm out? What does that tell me? I got out in the middle. Remember the objective. I want to get a piece of the middle. So if it keeps going, cool. Go, 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 go. Because what happens when it keeps going, 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 going up? It's going to come down. And I look for another trade. So if you want, you could have used to get out as outside the, outside the upper band on the candles. If you wanted to wait for MACD because we're on the time of year, you'd have got out here. Look at that. It's about the same price point. So if you waited for MACD to cross, MACD crossed on, what's that, November, somewhere between the 15th and the 22nd at a price point which is pretty darn close to where it was outside the upper band. Anywhere in there would have been fine. And the only way to know where the absolute best is, is well after the fact. You look back and say, oh, and then that's just one of those you say, well, is what would, and this is just, for, you know, this is me sharing my experience with you, how I figured all this stuff out, is going back and looking after the fact three weeks later and say, what would have been the best exit where it made sense? Well, the best exit is clearly at the top of that little tiny blip. Of course I would have done that. You're lying, right? There's no way to do that. And so be looking to say, well, where intelligent might I have gotten out? Anywhere on that upper wick outside the bands, anywhere in there, or even layers, it came back down. You might have said, look, if it breaks the prior day low, I'd get out there. So I'd have gotten out the very next day. 
right? As it broke the low of the prior day, I might, and then it went outside the band one, two, three, four candles later, outside that upper band, it's done it twice now, that's intelligent. If I wanna wait for MACD to cross, now I'm allowing myself to stay in the trade longer, knowing I may give back profit, and doing that for the opportunity to maybe get more of it, I could do it that way too. That's just, a, that's a voice of experience. And the only way to know which one is correct is three weeks from now, you look back and say, oh, I got lucky because I chose that one or I should have done this one, I'd have made more. But as long as there's intelligence there, proper entry, intelligent exit, according to plan. You're good, call it a brick, let the adrenaline flow, call Hanson up, take him out to dinner, thank you for the good trade and go do the next one. Y'all can do that, take Hanson to dinner, by the way. Hey, go ahead. <laughs> Okay. Candles and bar. Oh, no problem. Yeah. So same thing. So the bar is really, if, when you're, when you're charting, there are di you can chart it different ways. There's one called the bar chart. There's OHLC, open, high, low, close. There's candles. There's a couple of different varieties. If I might've used the word bar, but it's basically just a candle. Yeah. So what I'm looking for, yeah, what I'm really looking for is when I'm counting, I'm counting candles, but I'm noticing how long does it take for the indicators to cross since I love, what do I love again? I love MACD. I can never remember that. So I love MACD, so I'm looking for, <laughs> I you gotta be sure you guys all remember this, does my last day to see you. So you wanna, what you do is go back and go find moves in the past that have lasted long, Veronica. Count from the time that MACD crosses going up or going down, to when it crosses going the other way. Count the number of candles in here, or just count, you know, count the number of things in the histogram, it's the number of candles. And you'll see that it rarely will exceed the high number of teens. Occasionally it will, but generally speaking, it won't go higher than that. Yeah, but never use the word overbought or oversold. So what, you're look, what she's pointing at is here on about November 15th or so, the faint gray line down on the bottom is called ADX, Average Directional Index. Okay, you've got the red and the green, which are the DMIs, the, uh, DIs, the directional indicators, directional movement indicators. ADX is the very faint line. I use that for only one reason. All that tells me is if it is extended, and extended is like north of 60, north of 70, depends on the stock and the time frame. But if I see it very extended, 60 plus, 70 plus, go back, I, I challenge this, go find 100 examples, see how often it gets north of 70. It, they're very hard to find, and once they are, then watch what happens to price after that. It's not an indicator. It is not an indicator. All it says is when you see it that far extended, excuse me, me the sick analogy guy, grandma's almost dead. Right? There is not a lot of life left in that move. It doesn't say get in the trade going the other way. It really says, Veronica, that move is almost over. Said differently, if I were in, like let's see, it's up here on November 15th. If I'm in that trade going up, Dan, another way to think about it is because I see ADX so high, it doesn't have much left. I know I'm closer to the end than the beginning. It's not an exit signal. It just tells me, it's like, you know, the weather's getting a little bit colder, right? December, I know it's going to be snowing pretty soon. I don't know when, but I know it's coming. And so I'm probably, now I'm looking for reasons to get out. That help? Okay, we good?